Thanks for joining me on my podcast, The John Hammer Show. Today's show is episode two of Theology, Culture, and Leadership. I've got a special guest today, Ben Dixon. This show is part of the Sunrise Podcast Network. For information about Sunrise Christian Center and our sponsors, the Send Network and Seattle Bible College, please visit isunrise.org. Please help me spread the word by subscribing, downloading, rating, and commenting on my podcast. The more you interact with my content, the more it helps people hear the message. I really would appreciate it. My guest today, Ben, is a dear friend of mine. He is the founder of Ignite Global Ministries. He's the senior pastor of Northwest Church, a four-square church in Federal Way, Washington. Ben is a prolific author, the books Hearing God and Prophesy. He's an equipper, and he's an incredible man of God. I'm so excited to introduce you to him. Please enjoy this episode and share it with your friends. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining me on my podcast today. It's great to have you. Uh, I think we've been uh, friends for over, boy, it's been over 10 years for sure, because uh, I'm almost 40. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it was around the time my first daughter was born, so maybe pushing up to 13, 14 years that we've been friends now. So it's just great to have you on my podcast today. And I know you meant a lot to me. If you uh, don't know a lot about Ben's ministry, um, I'll let him before the episode is over, let you know where you can find him on social media and some of his tools and resources. But uh, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about who you are, Ben, what makes you tick, uh, what what you're doing in life these days, and just a little bit of your story. Give us a little yeah, snapshot. Yeah, little, little snapshot here. Anyways, thanks for having me, John. Love you. We are good friends. For everybody listening in, we are great friends, and I'm, mm. great, I'm grateful to be right alongside Pastor John. Um, I am currently the lead pastor at Northwest Church here in Federal Way, Washington. My family and I moved here nine, a little over nine months ago, and, and it's been a blessing and a privilege to be here. I also am the director of Ignite Global Ministries. Uh, prior to being here, I was living in Mill Creek, Washington, serving as an associate pastor and doing a lot of itinerary work and traveling around the country and also to international trips with the purpose of equipping churches, strengthening churches through discipleship efforts. I write books, have a great family, got four kids, been married to my wife Bridget for 16 years. I'm in love with her. I love my children. We have, I have two stepsons, uh, Isaiah's 27, Avante's 25, and then, uh, my wife and I together have a 13-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son, and uh, we are a grateful family serving Jesus together, doing a lot of stuff, going crazy during this pandemic economic shutdown season, yep. <laughs> and we are trying to figure out life, leadership, and liberty just like everyone else. That's right. Well, I remember, actually, I was just thinking today of having you on here, it's just you know, this podcast is fresh. It's like two, three weeks old now. And uh, I was remembering the first time I met you, actually. And I think you were in a meeting with my dad or you were about to you either just came from a meeting with him and you were at our our church facility and uh, you came out and there was some conversation in the hallway and you said something. I don't know if you remember this. I have one of those kind of weird memories. I think people think I'm a stalker sometimes because I never forget people <laughs> and they forget me. And then I'm like, hey, I remember that. And they're like, I don't know who you are. What are you what are you doing? And they start, you know, twitching a little bit and pulling their phone right. out. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember uh, you made some comment about um, praying for young people at the altar. And you're like, yeah, every time I just pray over a young man and the, and I, I speak to him about the issue of pornography or whatever, they just start weeping instantly, you know? And, and I was like, and I had written a book on, well, I don't know if I had written my book at that point on freedom from pornography. And um, I would say that uh, for our listeners today, if they don't know either of us very well, um, we're both fairly intense, passionate personalities, right? right? We are, <laughs> we're go-getters. We just, we don't mess around. And I, and so I remember like hearing you say this, I'm like, who isn't, who is in my hallway, just like in like, you know, random small talk saying something like this. I'm like, <laughs> I like this guy. Like, this is, this is my man. I need right. to know this guy. And so I remember uh, just getting to know you shortly after and then our wives meeting and our kids. And now it's just funny to me the other day, our, we're on lockdown and my son's like, uh, you know, playing video games with a friend uh, and 
and he's on this phone call and then the video game stops and he's still talking to this friend over like he has like his little like uh phone set up over wi-fi i don't know what he's talking on because he doesn't have phone service but he's like having this full-on like miniature adult conversation and my son's 10 years old and i'm like who are you talking to and he's like judah and like, judah dixon is like ben's son and they're like having this full-on back and forth and i'm like man it's just so crazy to think about how you meet somebody and then your your families become friends and you stay in touch and your sons become little miniature men, you know? And so I was just cracking up listening to their dialogue, like, dude, like this level, what if it had like this monster that came out or whatever? And you're just like, it's so important to them. I try to, I try to honor that. You know, I try to like sound, seem interested when my son tells me these long, video game stories on lockdown but i don't have i don't have much attention span for it i can't really i try to tell my son regularly i have no idea what you're talking about judah <laughs> i do not like video games at all all of my kids know that so there's no hiding there's no hiding yeah. at all I, I just feel like it would take me so much time to enjoy it because i like winning and I just get thrashed so quickly. I'm just like, I don't got time for this. I'm going to do something I'm good at right now. It brings me pleasure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why it brings me pleasure just to say I hate video games, but it actually makes me feel like really good inside. Whenever I preach at youth camps, I actually like to say that to all the young people. The thing you don't say is you're always trying to relate to young people. And I just say, I just say the thing that makes me not relate right up front because the rest better be God or we're screwed. <laughs> That's right. I'll let you know how irrelevant I am. And if God still moves, right. you know That's it was right. him. Now you don't like me. Let's see if God does something great. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, no, but I I love your heart. And, uh, man, I don't know how guys make it in the ministry long term without friends that are really committed to the Lord and committed to a life of prayer and holiness, committed to uh, just committed to be faithful, man. We need a lot of grace. There's And there's so much pressure at right. times like this. Um, but I'm sure we could do a whole series of podcasts on dealing with leadership pressure in the middle of crisis or something like right. that. That sounds like a good title. But <laughs> but are you guys surviving lockdown? How is it, how is it for your family and your church and everything? Yeah, I mean, we're doing what everybody's doing. We we're all shelter in place, and we're we're trying to as best we can adhere to what that means. But flubbing the lines, I'm sure. I mean. We, uh, since we'd only been here at the church at Northwest Church for like six months, seven months before this happened, it was like we were just kind of getting our feet wet, getting to know everybody. Um, and I think God had bonded us here as a church, but we had, our family had moved twice. So we had moved into a parsonage, then we did a two month remodel, then we moved into a home that we bought. So we just were not fully settled, uh, through all this. And, it's been kind of like day by day working in the yard, building a portable basketball hoop outside, trying to figure out just how to be settled when we were just trying to get settled as a family. So for us, I think there is a little bit of grace because we've been walking through so much transition. This just sort of felt like more of that since we didn't really know our neighbors yet, since we didn't really have very many friends in the region or the area. There wasn't really a lot of places for us to go. I mean, certainly shopping and going out to eat and things like that were the luxuries that we got to, had taken away from us. But I just think that um, for us, because we had been navigating unfamiliar territory, it uh, it probably didn't hit us as hard just because just of the nature of transition. So we're doing good. Um, but we, we just yeah. long for like the simple things that we all lost, you know what I mean? Like just being able to sit at a restaurant, right. being able to go to a store and shop and not have to worry about all kinds of social distancing rules. I went into Home Depot the other day, was stared at many, many times for not having a mask on. I mean, it just, you just kind of, we're doing the best we can, but it's just, we just long for the simplicity of the things that were taken, right? You just realize it. Right. Yeah, so you're just like in transition after transition, kind of all just rolled together, and they know nothing prepares any of us for this, especially I think leading a large church like you lead now, um, or in any church for that matter, uh, leading your people through this, and then uh, you've probably experienced this too. But you've got people that see this in so many different ways, like people that are shut in and afraid to go out, um, afraid of 
of wearing a mask. I got people that think that wearing a mask is the worst thing. I get people sending these articles about how unhealthy it is to wear a mask. And then other people are like, we really need to mask up, you know, or else we don't love our neighbors. Like we want to kill people if we don't wear a mask, you know? And and so you get all these different opinions and ideas like coming your way. And then you got to filter like, what is God really saying? Uh, At least that's what I'm trying to keep my heart positioned is God, what are you saying? What does Jesus want right now? Uh, because I think even all of us, like you said, we, we're trying to follow the rules the best we can. And some people, uh, one of my guys from church was just talking about, isn't it interesting that when a law comes out, everybody starts talking about any possible way to interpret it, to get right. around the rule kind of like, uh, that, that how the human heart, just like, as soon as there's a rule, it's like, how close can we go to bending it without right. breaking it technically? Uh, and I thought, I thought that was an interesting observation. It's so true. But how, how have you kind of positioned your heart at this time to, as a leader, you know, with all the opinions coming your way, all the different people sending you different ideas of what you should do and like, how, what, where, where does it, you know, where does the rubber meet the road for you? Yeah. I mean, um, I honestly don't agree with some of the decisions that are, that have been made from a governmental level. And, and I think, you know, I'm not a health professional. I'm not a medical advisor. I'm not a government official. I, I recognize what I'm not, but I am a reader and, uh, and I've lived in this world long enough to kind of see how things go. And we've lived through other viruses. Um, we have information on that. So I, I don't want to act like we know nothing, even though maybe this virus is new. It still is a virus of which we have many and have had many since I was a kid. So I think that general rules come out to kind of warn those that don't care at all, right? So you kind of have like the extreme rules and then everybody gets affected by that. So I do have differences, but I'm just still trying to honor the balance and the tension um, without going overboard. And I think for me, that's kind of the key. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I think for us and our family, the, the, the goal is health. That's really the goal here, regardless of like all the specific rules. I know people on both sides of the fence. I got people pushing me to open the church right now. And, um, oh, yeah. and not, you know, with no parameters per se that, that, that they're offering as, as a solution. But I would go as far as saying like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that camp. You know, I, I think that there really is wisdom to own the tension. And I think we often don't like that. I'm, this, sometimes the same people that will push you to do one thing uh, were the polar opposite a month ago. You know, when we first shut the church down from public gatherings the week before we were ha- we had to, <clears throat> there were people that called me and, cri- and criticized me for that. They were very frustrated and, and unhappy. And a week later, you know, you don't hear from them because it was mandated. So somehow I'm trying to figure out the balance in the middle between don't care at all to everybody's going to die if you don't wear a mask. You know, I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be a middle in there and the goal is health. And so I'm just trying to practice health. That's really the, I'm asking myself that question every time, like what's healthy for me to do and not do what's healthy for me to practice and to lead my family. And then as a leader, sometimes you have to do things a little bit above and beyond because you're trying to steward something for the greater good. So we're trying to balance our own personal health and, and also our leadership, not knowing how people steward their own lives. So that's, you know, it's a tension, but somehow trying to own right. the middle. Yeah. And I, I, I am with you on that. I think for me, I've really tried to say, and what's helped me even in the last week or so, as we've gotten new regulations in Washington state um, that have been extended is like, I have personal opinions as I read the news and I am concerned about how our government's handling things uh, and how they're, and, you know, I think it is important to pray against any nefarious motives. I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think everything is, you know, uh, leading to civil war. Everything is um, a, a government like plot to employ communism again. But I think, you know, history tells us that there's times where governments overuse their power or they don't do things that are good for the people. And so to, to just kind of act like a lemming and walk off the cliff or what I don't, I'm not I'm not in that camp. I think we need to pray for the truth to come out. We need to pray for our leaders for wisdom and bless them and not, uh, you know, not be a 
a thorn in their side, but at the same time, it's okay to like use our, our influence to contact government officials, to ask questions and just say, Hey, you, you know, we, in our country, we vote you in. So you're a public servant and we're just wanting to make sure you're stewarding us the best you can. This is what we're looking at. But that doesn't mean then that we have to start a civil war. And I'm almost, maybe that's strong language, but I see the way some Christians and pastors are even leading right now. And I'm like, there's so much on the other end that they're like, you know, we're going to stand up against the government. And I just see these two sides pushing against each other. And I guess where I'm at is like, what does Jesus want me to do? And maybe that doesn't seem practical to some people, but like, if he really is our Lord and our master, then we need to represent him well. So even if I have personal opinions about government and I have different concerns about how it's affecting business, how it's affecting, um, there, there is a legit health crisis. There are people um, that we probably both know that have died or, or, or friends of friends that have died or that have had very close brushes with death. Um, so it's not something to take lightly for sure. And I'm no expert on, on public health or, or even government policy, but um, I, you see Paul using his Roman citizenship at times to say, hey, you know, are you treating me properly? These are my rights, you know, and I think the church needs to let their voice be heard, but they need to do it in like an honorable and respectful way that represents Christ well and hopefully pulls people together. Because that's what really concerns me more than anything about how, right. how politicized everything gets and how people just don't listen to each other anymore. And the divide just seems to get bigger and bigger. No, I love anyway, it, I'm starting to move into right. preaching. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all with you. I do have yeah. personal opinions, and I think dividing those between what we think and what we must do often is the tension. So I, I, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, times like this show me how much theology matters because I think a lot of mm -hmm. what we say and do or expect comes out of a underlying theology that we don't always realize that we have. Somebody sent me a video the other day and basically told me they agree with everything that this person says for 45 minutes. I was like, I hardly agree with anybody <laughs> for like four minutes. Um, and, and again, I say that with right. respect because it's, I don't really think everything is just about disagreeing or agreeing. Certainly there are things where that absolutely matters, but when somebody's just sharing something yeah. that's important to them, they're talking it out. Maybe they mean it as definitive. Maybe they don't depends on their personality, but this person, their 45 minutes, everything that they said was predicated on their eschatology. And I don't even think they realized it because it mm -hmm. wasn't like they said, here's what my eschatology is. And as a result of that, here's what I believe. Here's where we are as a society, as a country. And here's what God is saying. And here's what God wants to do. Here's what you need to be fearful of. Here's where you need to fight back. You know, none of it mentions discipleship, evangelism. None of it mentions the mission and the ministry of Christ. None, none of what he said. It was just assumed. And I just kind of right. felt like, wow, you know. This is a moment where a guy like this does not realize that he's bought into a certain kind of eschatology and without any analyzing as to whether or not what he believes underneath what he's saying is right or wrong. It just it just shows that we uh, we need to go back to see if what we believe is actually yeah. accurate or maybe we need to loosen up on some of those a little bit more difficult to understand um, perspectives or theologies from scripture there are, but there are some things that we know for sure john and i know you preach this live this bleed this mm -hmm. it, it 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 shocks me at the outcry for for societal privileges and and there's no outcry for a lack of sharing and showing gospel efforts at all i mean it just bothers the heck out of me that right. people are still free to do so much stuff to their for their neighbor, uh, to do good works and to bring good yep. news, and it isn't happening and it's not happening because what we want is familiar, comfortable, and the way things were. If you mess with that, you mess with me, and if you mess with me, you're messing with God. And the and the assumption is that if you take away my American rights, all of a sudden I still then I can't yeah. do what God wants me to do. And it isn't said that way, but it certainly is communicated to yeah. me, which it just makes my skin crawl to be honest with you. Well, yeah. And I think I, I felt very challenged. Even this week I was reading uh, Dallas Willard, the divine conspiracy. And I know it's kind of an older book, but I had never read it. And man, it's just like, uh, it's some of the best writing. I think I've just, just his writing ability is amazing. But um, he talked about how a lot of people don't think Jesus was smart. 
you know, like if you put, if you talk about the smartest people and I mean, you say who's the most influential or who's the greatest human, a lot of people would put Jesus at the top of the list. But if you say who's one of the smartest men that's ever lived, like Jesus wouldn't right. usually end up on that list. And he's like, for the Christian, he's like, Jesus is, is we've, we've kind of let that influence us. And I started to think about it and I was like, man, this whole, like deny yourself take up your cross and follow Jesus. Like I thought of it even this week related to COVID. Like I have certain frustrations and things that I feel like are going on in, in society as a result of the policies and, and of course from the sickness itself. And I'm, you have all these concerns, but I'm like, I, I literally have to deny myself and take up my cross and say, what is G- how does Jesus want me to follow him in the middle of this? I am not first a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not a conservative or a liberal. I'm not first a, a consumer that wants my right or, you know, wants to go out to restaurants again and wants to buy stuff at the mall. Like these things are irritating or frustrating, but I have to say, Jesus is my Lord. I am first a citizen of his kingdom. And so how am I using my, my kingdom citizenship in light of this for the sake of the kingdom, right? My, my, the mandate I have as a follower of Jesus to extend his kingdom, to make disciples, to win souls. Uh, And I'm with you, man. I don't, I don't see the church rising up in that. I see we, we get in these little echo chambers in social media. And so, um, cause I thought, man, I thought a lot of people were angry and over this, but I went to a grocery store yesterday. I met Fred Meyer with my wife and they haven't required people to wear masks there. Like Costco has, but man, there was like, there was more people in masks and people like, I think you mentioned earlier being in home Depot and like people were like afraid, like we got kind of in their same path by, by accident coming around a corner and they like, they step back and they look at you weird. And it's like, people are more afraid, but a lot of the Christians I see on social media, they're more ready to get out and meet and do whatever. So I'm like, there, you know, not everybody is on that page. It was just a moment where I was reflecting like, Hey, what we see in one bubble right? is not exactly. the same in another bubble. Who are we sensitive to? Who are <laughs> we know? thinking about? Who and are so, we mindful of? Right. Right. That's really important right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta follow Jesus. Um, and I know that that's, that's obviously your heart. And that's, <laughs> that's why we're friends, bro. And, but, uh, uh, like, so, um, I know you wrote a book recently, uh, your most recent yep. work, uh, prophesy. And, um, so it's pretty relevant because in the charismatic Pentecostal world, which I'm unashamedly a part of, well, unashamed in some areas, maybe there's other areas I'd like us to be more on mission with Jesus <laughs> and less about, I don't know funny stuff um but uh but i i I love uh the holy spirit and the things that he does the gifts that he gives and we need more of his power more of his gifts um for sure but uh this has been obviously a huge time where the the prophet uh uh, the office or the gift of prophet or prophetic voices or people that want to have a prophetic office or have some kind of prophetic gift are um you know really sharing tons of prophecies content uh, since everybody's on lockdown, a lot of those ministries were itinerant and they were, you know, they traveled from place to place. Um, and now they're locked down. So they're making <laughs> videos like left and right. And, uh, I mean, prophecy can probably be big business. I mean, uh, in some ways, and I mean, I have no problem from somebody having a prophetic ministry and, you know, receiving an income right. from it as God opens those doors for them. I think, I thank God for the prophetic gift. I, uh, I love it. But um, it's just interesting to see how it's like this huge thing. So um, as somebody who's written on this topic recently, uh, what is kind of your gut feeling on how the church is? Ha- I mean, this may be a broad question, but, you know, how how do you think the church is handling this prophetically? You think we're doing well? You think you see a mixture or like what? I, I, how so I have kinda, several take takes. On it? So we'll, we'll go down all my rabbit tra- We have time. No, no, number one. OK, there you go. I don't think <laughs> I've been a Christian uh, 21 years this year. I have never seen anybody or I've never I have never seen the amount of con- consuming of prophecies and prophetic and and sharing of prophetic words and videos I even conspiracy theories being spun and those building more conspiracy theories I I have like literally never seen this amount of prophecy being spun around and shared ever I've never seen it. It, it. it it's we're being inundated more than we even realize. And um, and and so there's there's this I'm a little concerned about I'm pretty concerned about that, I should say. 
And I think that what it does mm. too is, is that it reveals that there's quite a bit of mixture in what we call the prophetic movement or those that have prophetic voices. You have some people, I just listened to a prophetic guy maybe a couple of weeks ago, and you would know his name. I won't drop his name just, just in case there's other things that he said that I haven't listened to. But he was saying everything's going to be okay. You know, basically, he was kind of saying the economy's not going to go bad, and it's just going to be a hard hit for a little season, but we're going to emerge out of this greater than ever, great the economic strength of America and the world is going to get better. I mean, I just couldn't believe what he was saying. I mean, I'm like, are you reading 25% unemployment mm -hmm. almost? I mean, are you, are you missing what's mm -hmm. going on right now? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I was just shocked that, that, you know, even when you just look at the quarter review, that there was very little acknowledgement to the reality of, of the financial difficulties that we are actually facing today. Like he didn't even acknowledge the reality of what we were facing today. So I just was really shocked. You know, this is a guy that people really trust and listen to. Um, and many have told me to listen to. On the other hand, we've got the mm -hmm. collapse of, of society if we don't follow the President Trump and all this stuff. And so yeah, I get a lot of that stuff as well. And, and so I, I just think that there's so many voices saying so many things that I think it can be confusing for just the average person out here. So I'm very concerned about the confusion that a person could swing from one polar opposite to the other and uh, whatever kind of suits their feeling. Um, and and I, I don't see as much collective voice as I, as I would like. Now, on the other hand, um, there are things that are out there and I'm not gonna walk around and condemn everything. I, I think the words of judgment predominantly come from a certain perspective in the body of Christ. I do think, you know, people have criticized me recently for saying that the, the majority of the judgment of God was rendered um, at the work of the cross, that Jesus took upon himself the sin of humanity, mm -hmm. that he was made to be sin, right? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So this, I don't think, is very understood. I do believe that God disciplines those whom he loves. I do believe that God, on a macro scale, yeah. you know, Acts 12, Acts 5, 1 Corinthians 11, Revelation, the entire book of Revelation, shows us that God is at work, sovereignly working, um, as he does to fulfill his purpose and his plan. And there are certainly times where God would strike a leader down, and um, he'll do what he'll do. I mean, I believe he's going to, honor his word, follow his word. I believe that as it pertains to personal judgment and backlash, as it were, that God is um, lifted that type of judgment, in my opinion. I think judgment under the old covenant, punitive, uh -huh. as, it, as it would seem, had its always its purpose. But here's what I've kind of been sharing with people lately as it pertains to, let's just say, judgment prophecies. I, I struggle any time uh -huh. that I hear somebody prophesy that God is bringing judgment and it's ambiguous. And what, what I mean by that is when you look in the Bible, I have found personally, this is what I believe, that when God brings renders judgment, it's a verdict, it's a sentence against something specific. It, 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 there's, a, there's an act of disobedience, yep. there's an act of dishonor, there's a, a rebellion of sorts, and God renders the verdict and brings about judgment as that last resort or that necessary element because he is perfect and his wisdom is perfect. And so he enacts what he knows needs to happen. We trust that obviously God knows above and beyond. He knows everything. So it seems to me that there's a response from God to something specific. What I struggle with is today is like people just call out judgment and then it's going to be because we've aborted babies or it's because of the LGBTQIA agenda or it's because America's not supposedly following God. I mean, it's just, it's always this like generality right. and ambiguity is just so filled with the judgment of God that it makes no sense to me. Like, well, which one is it? Right. And I'm, 
I think we have to be careful because yeah, even when God gave specific judgments, it was often like, this is what I'm going to do as a judgment, right. For this amount of time, or I'm going to, you know, there's some of those that are hard for us to understand. Um, but like, Oh, I'm going to wipe out this many people (laughs) or, you know, I'm going to, I mean, exactly. I mean, I was reading this, uh, and then, and then, and then if you repent, you get, you get out of it too, or you could cut it short. So, so what do we do? What is he doing? And how, what do we do in response to delay or stop his hand of judgment? You know, we, that's that. And that's how I feel ambiguous, about a lot you don't of this. Know. So how do I feel about this? How do I handle this? I, I, I'm trying to listen for what is actually like, there's a scriptural foundation and there's a, a specific clarity. You know, when there's a clarity, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm a little bit more open to listening, but when there's an ambiguity, when it's just mm-hmm. like all of these things sort of are swathed in, to this this judgment and this reaction, then I'm I'm not I'm not really as inclined to listen because that that sort of brings about confusion and that that to me is a discernment point. That's all I'm sharing that for. I th- yeah, well i I think that um, you know in my own life I've in a sense I I feel like the Lord's disciplined me during this time. You know, like I feel like under pressure, a lot of things were exposed in my life um, that I was trusting in that I could, that I needed to repent of. Um, and it's brought me closer to Jesus and it's also laid my soul bare, but I don't think that God, you know, unleashed a judgment of COVID-19 into the earth to keep me on lockdown to make me see all these things. Right. But then he uses, um, you know, who knows, did this come from a lab? Did this come from somebody eating a bat or bat poop in their food? I mean, I don't know where it came from. I mean, it's demonic. I believe it's, it's of an evil origin because it's bringing destruction and chaos into the earth. It's, it has the fingerprints of the accuser, the deceiver of the brethren, Satan himself, not the fingerprints of something God would bring into the earth, but yet then in light of, you know, so it's very complicated in that one sense, I think, but how God uses things that he didn't necessarily invent. Right. He uses them to judge our economic systems or maybe different things that we have, um, put in place of depending on God. Uh, and he can use these things to shake people right. up, uh, redemptively, but it doesn't mean that he's instituting it as like, I did this because of your, you know, individual disobedience. And I know, you know, some people that have died, uh, that I know, uh, like, uh, family friends that I know of that have died of COVID-19 or pastors that I know across the nation that have lost other pastor right. friends to the disease that are godly people. You know, like, I I don't think they had like some secret skeleton in their closet, you know, secret double life that God's like slaying them for their disobedience. And when you release words of judgment like that, you have to think like, you know, it's not just that person that you perceive as God's enemy, you know, that's getting it. There's some really godly, righteous people that have suffered and died or come close to death. So I think uh, it's important that we get the heart of God right. And it sounds like what you mentioned earlier how our theology affects so much of what we say. It seems like people, I get, I guess I get kind of skeptical when people are always prophesying judgment about everything. And then, so this is another chance for prophesying judgment or then they're always prophesying. Everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be a big deal. The economy's good. God's in a good mood. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it, bro. (laughs) And you're like, well, you're always saying the same thing. And I I mean, I, I get that. If you see God as a good God, that is probably going to affect how you hear him and, and how you perceive circumstances. But um, it seems like it'd be more trustworthy in a sense if it was specific, like you said, and it was relevant to the specific issue and not just kind of sounding like everything that voice has shared um, up till this point, you know, because then it's like, well, it's just more of the same. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's the um, judgment part and then there's the over positive yeah. part. I feel like I heard both these last couple of weeks, like. Some people feel like nothing, nothing is going to happen. And, and that's what people want to hear. And the other is the judgment and people, some folks get excited about that. I don't, I think, I think if we're going to prophesy mm-hmm. a judgment of sorts as a response of God, knowing that in his perfect wisdom, this was necessary. We have to like, man, we have to feel that in our heart when it comes to the collateral damage. I mean, it, it just, like you're referencing all these people that are godly that have lost their lives. It, it, it's, it's just one of those things when you hear somebody talk and you, you, you can feel or tell that they're just so disconnected from how it's affecting people. 
and it just doesn't feel it doesn't seem right when you read yeah. scriptures and the prophets that did carry such heavy weighty words um how it affected them so deeply you know jeremiah the weeping prophet so many that had to walk through some serious yeah. things in order to bring about such words i i just when it's cheap i i just don't know if it's real you know cheap things are counterfeits so i i think that We've got to be careful of, of what we're prone mm. to in our personality. If, we, if we're angry because of unrighteousness, we've got to be careful we don't prophesy our anger. Um, if we have a certain eschatology or theology, we've yep. got to be careful we don't prophesy our theology. We want the word of the Lord. People, people need hope. People are desperate. But regardless of what people need, we need to give, what pe give people what God says. So when it comes to prophesying, you know, that's my heart. And I agree with you. I think there's this idea of... of coming against judgment to the point where we don't realize that God uses everything for his good. And I want to lead our people to repent from any inactivity or, uh, or active unrighteousness or passive righteousness that we should be mm -hmm. producing and unrighteousness. We should be restraining. I want to lead us into mm -hmm. repentance for sitting in, in the back and not doing anything for, not being in our community, not being present, not being prayerful, not being mindful, not sharing the good news, not bringing good works. I want to be repentant. I want to be open to God. I want to. I want Him to shape us and sharpen us in this season. So I don't want to reject certain messages and messengers to the exclusion of us actually just yielding our lives to God and having Him redeem all of this so that we go and be, become hands, feet, mouthpiece in the world that affects change because we want to use yeah. this as an opportunity to bring about change first in us and secondarily around us. So I'm all in for that. And I don't want to speak against or react to anybody that I don't agree with in this time so much so that I end up focusing on that when I really just need to be focusing and leading others toward what Jesus is, what we know for sure he is doing. Yeah. Do you, uh, so would your book, um, prophesy help people navigate yes. seasons like yeah, this? I, I, so um, chapter one's my story. Chapter yeah. two through six is really all about a proper theology of the prophetic. And that's going, that's going to go over what's a prophet. Uh, what's an old Testament prophet. What's a new Testament prophet. How do you know if you're a prophet? How do you identify a prophet? What's a false prophet? What's a false word? Is there a difference between a false prophet and a false word? I talk a lot about that. I have a whole chapter on it. And basically a theology mm -hmm. for, for New Testament yeah. prophecy that everyone can enter into versus what prophets carry as a weight of responsibility and the authority that God's given them to minister, not just something to an individual, but to a church or a region or a state or a nation or even nations. There is a difference, and we see that pattern in Scripture. So I, there's a theology there that I think will help root out things that aren't necessary for us to believe and consequently maybe speak out of. I do think it'll be helpful. And then the rest is just parameters on how to receive a word, how to give a word, how to discern a word, um, how to start out. And for those that are maybe a little more advanced, there's a lot of encouragements, reminders, and maybe a little bit more wisdom in where you're at as well. Definitely, I think it's helpful. I wrote it out of my experience and I wanted to hit as much as I possibly could in one book. Yeah. And uh, you have another book. Um, Correct, that's kind yeah. of like the prequel yep. or the, <laughs> the first installment hearing God, which is uh, powerful. I mean, you got a lot of books in circulation on that one, which is awesome. I know a lot of churches have used it um, as like a Bible study for small groups and, um, you know, just to strengthen themselves as believers and hearing the voice of God. So hearing God is more about, um, just like your personal, how you hear God's voice for like daily uh, relationship and direction uh, according to the scripture and according to how the Spirit, Holy Spirit speaks to us. And then prop, prophesy is more about how do you develop Amen. a ministry yep, that's of exactly hearing it. God for others. You can others, sell it, right? John. You can and take speaking, it on the phone. You can sell it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. Well, they're um, both great um books and i would encourage our listeners to check them out for sure yeah amazon, get them on amazon, going amazon is right now way, or is there five dollars and ninety cents and i didn't change that uh i didn't change the price so sometimes they'll drop it when they're trying to get re release the stock that they have so during this time they've dropped it three times and i haven't touched yeah. the price it's 10.99 and now today it's 5.92 for the book 
That's cheap. Mm, come on now. So uh, I think I was hearing you talk with somebody recently on a Facebook video or something, Instagram, one of these times you're talking with one of your friends, uh, Phil Manginelli or Trevor Lawyer, the other pastors. Um, and you were talking about prayer. And uh, that's one area during this uh, partial lockdown thing that we're experiencing um, that God's really highlighted in my life. I'm doing a series at Sunrise called Revival Prayer. And it's something we wanted to just preach on for a while, but it just seemed really relevant because uh, we've noticed that a lot of people's hearts are tender. We're seeing, we're hearing stories of people leading their neighbors to Christ. Um, people that are like have children that have been astray are reconnecting with their families. Some of them are coming to faith in Christ for the first time or returning to their faith after a long period of being away because they were really shaken by all this. And I think when the Bible speaks about pestilence and war and rumors of war and, you know, all these things, those that have had seeds sown in their life, like they're and maybe those that haven't even, but they're just like, man, is there more to life? Like they're, they're afraid of death now. They're, um, you know, this world that kind of is so safe and so predictable um, is unpredictable. So uh, we're seeing like an answer to prayer a lot happen. But I remember you in these other, one of these other talks with your friends that I was catching for a few minutes, you're talking about um and it became the first point of my sermon the other day actually just let you know um because i wholeheartedly agreed with it um but it's just like prayer like the myth it was in myths about prayer it's another podcast i did too but um the number one myth that i want to confront about prayer is that prayer is inactivity that prayer is doing nothing you know and so like in the culture if you tell somebody you're you know and they're maybe an atheist or they just they don't have a, a framework for belief in God. When you say like, we're praying for you right, as the church, exactly. they're like, Oh, so you're doing nothing. Thanks a lot. You know, now we're screwed. The leader of the country is saying he's praying with people. Um, and he's praying instead of, you know, taking care of business. Um, so what, yeah, I mean, you, can you elaborate I, on I that just, a little bit? Like, I'll be honest with uh, you. I mean, for the last probably like five or six years, every now and again, you post something on your social media, like, Hey, we're praying for this country because they're going through turmoil or, some kind of difficulty had transpired or maybe a city or some kind of calamity and just your heart goes out. And so you just post, Hey, we're praying. You're trying to just as a leader, even rally other people to pray because feeling bad is, is not necessarily something uh, that's productive. Obviously we all feel bad, but I want I want to motivate. So there's always this feeling of like, man, that sucks. I wish that didn't happen. So as a leader, I'll post things like, Hey, we're praying for whatever. And just helps focus people around you. And I know that folks will listen to me or they're interested in what I think. And I just want to be honest about what I'm doing. I'm praying. And so you'll get like lashback comments. I've had comments for years, five, six years at least as I post those things. Because I haven't had social media or been in charge of my social media forever. But I'll see these little comments like we need to do more than pray or do something or, or whatever, right? It's almost like. I didn't post what I'm doing beyond prayer. I just said we're praying. So the assumption in in the response is that that's all I mean to do, which again, in in the vacuum of, uh, you know, in in the face of social media, there's so many things when we post something, it's not, we're not trying to give our theological treatise on everything we're doing or an explanation of everything we're doing, but there's so much assumption. Right. And we're quick to make statements. We're quick to make judgments. Yeah. But I would see this again and again and again, this this idea that you need to do something. And so it just started to catch on with me in my mind, like, wow, I would actually see it um, in society. You hear it on news broadcasts where people will say at the end of maybe interviewing somebody, hey, well, our prayers and our thoughts are with you. And it was more like a comforting thing. It wasn't like a, a living reality that we're talking to a God who made the heavens and the earth, who has the power to shift our atmosphere, shift reality, shift uh, and change what what's in front of us, a supernatural God. Like we're, it, it almost like I, I just noticed it became more of a comforting statement, not a living reality. And I think that's what uh, that's it's a positive statement to say to people in on one hand on, as a comfort. But on the other hand, it really is kind of a passive thing if that's all you're thinking of doing. And, and it's the sentiment is woven throughout the fabric of our world. And I see, I started to see it everywhere. Comments on social media as a backlash. And then the idea of I'm praying for you misused as more of a comfort rather than like, we really believe God can do something. 
So no matter how you cut it, it seems to me like people don't are, are being sown this idea that prayer doesn't change anything or it isn't doing anything. It's inactivity. It's passivity. If you really care about people, then you'll get off your butt and do something for them, um, which, again, not everybody has the solutions yeah. for. And that's that's the untold truth right there. But um, it's just cheap and easy to say, we'll do something. So I started combating that in my teaching by calling that a profound evil, that I think the idea that prayer is, um, yeah. is a passive act on behalf of others in the life of a believer, I believe is an evil concept born out of the pit of hell. And I say it that way because the scriptures teach us that people who prayed saw God move in powerful ways. You have to be blind or not know the Bible or just not a Christian at all to believe otherwise. Yep. To suggest that prayer does not move mountains yeah. or that God's heart isn't moved or God's answers don't come is to just not believe scripture. And so what I started doing in our church is I started teaching on prayer. Right. And um, I'm even going to do a series on revival called Do It Again. And as I'm reading through all these stories, I'm going to tell one story a week, a, a revival story of the past. Every story I'm reading is a story full of Come prayer on. and obedience. And part of that obedience starts with prayer, the obedience yep. in the life of prayer. And so I've just been, yeah. honestly, I've just been struck with the, what the power of prayer is me, has meant to be in my, in my life, that Scripture reveals, that history reveals, when people followed those principles, they saw God move. And, and the thing I've been learning the most about prayer is that there are things that I don't even know I'm supposed to do until I pray. I don't even have the heart of God until I start to pray. Yep. I don't love um, things that are outside of my view. I don't develop a heart for it. I don't begin to see it. It doesn't come into full view. But when I start to pray and I enter into a burden where I seek God and I ask of God, he starts to download his heart into me. And then all of a sudden, I can't help myself but want to serve or give or share or get involved because that is what yeah. prayer does. Prayer calls on God, but it also demands something of us. And it's amazing how it's, it's a cycle. Um, yep. And it feeds prayer feeds something inside of us to be people that are obedient and receive instructions from the Lord, but also to see the hand of God move right in front of us. I mean, how can you read the Old Testament and not come to the conclusion that God moves when his people pray? I mean, literally, how can you even come to that conclusion? Yep. right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I've uh, been very slowly, it's a kind of a, I don't know, it's not an easy flow to read it, but uh, Finney's autobiography. And uh, I'm so, the thing that moves me more than anything else in that book, I mean, some of his theology is kind of out there in my opinion, but he's probably right. the greatest revivalist that we've ever seen, you know. Um, uh, but his prayer life, I mean, he would go pray and then he had Father Nash and Abel Clary, a couple of intercessors that would pray, you know, before his meetings or go into his city before he arrived and, and call kind of basically call heaven into the earth, like into that city. And, uh, but the, the amazing thing is like he would pray and expect results and they would pray uh, for a few hours one night. And then the next day they'd right. go get the results that they prayed about. It was like very specific, you know, um, tomorrow we're going to go do this and we need God to come through in this way. And then they'd see a revival break out. And I was just like, man, I'm just so moved by the level of uh, answered prayer that he received. You know, he he and they use this phrase like either we prayed through or we prevailed. We knew, you know, after praying for maybe four hours or six hours with a friend, uh, we knew wow. that we had prevailed with God and tomorrow we would have great success. And it was like they came to this place of prayer that they knew that they had the answer even before they were had it right. and then they would go experience what they knew they already had by faith and so it's just like it's very provoking and i feel like we live in a time where like reading the psalms even we live in a time where um we're shut in there's pressures and uh there's like david's praying against the nefarious motives of people you know in leadership uh, in society he's praying mm -hmm. for protection he's praying for health he's there's enemies against him there's threats. He's afraid for his life. And I'm like, man, like I'm here on right. lockdown and I'm kind of feeling stuck in the cave sometimes. 
And so I found myself getting very honest with God. I found myself, um, you know, with doubts, with like, just like I've been more raw emotionally in my prayer life, but I've also had some of the like um, greatest moments of prayer. God's answering prayers. He's providing for my church, for, for our family. He's specifically answering things. And so my faith has really increased, um, but I feel like my prayer life has gotten, right. you know, it's uh, I've been challenged to spend more time with him and develop hopefully a rhythm that is established after this is all over in a sense. Um, but then also, uh, just, I've been, I've been finding myself more David, I just more Psalm, more raw, I guess, but what, you know, has this affected your prayer life at all this season? And what does your prayer life kind of look like it, practically? Yeah. I mean, like, how, I mean, what, what, yes, how do you kind of spend your time with my God? Prayer life? It's affected my spiritual life in many ways. I, I think it's revealed a helplessness in me, um, where, where you're naturally gifted or your skills lie, mm-hmm. you're able to produce, you're able to bring things about. Um, you just kind of hit the end of your efforts and you're not able to do things. You're not able to change what's happening. You, you just feel like helpless. And I think helplessness has, has the power to reveal what we really ought to be doing, you know, prior to us even trying to shake down all these answers. And I think mm-hmm. um, helplessness is not a bad thing if you know that you can pray, if you know that God can change your reality, if you know that God is, cares about yep. this, all of this, all these situations more than we do, that's what I'm learning. I'm learning again. My helplessness does not mean that I'm helpless. It means that I'm dependent on God, and I think that it's it helps it's helped me to come to the end of myself yeah. quicker. And um, I'm a I'm a doer by nature. I get out there and I and I do. I pray every day. So I get up in the morning and I spend an hour with God every day. So in the Word and in prayer. I spend time in the word and then I, I pray it out and then I begin to pray and I receive from the Lord and I journal every single day. But I find myself just the whole idea of first Thessalonians five praying without ceasing. I don't think, and I could say this, I could say this clearly and with, with confidence that I don't think that I have truly felt that I'm praying more without ceasing than I am now. Like I'm constantly like asking God because I feel like, I'm very, mm-hmm. I'm more aware that I can't yeah. change that. I'm more aware that the church can't really, in, in all the burden bearing we might do and all the things that we might try, um, it, it isn't going to necessarily bring about the, the change. Like we had two drive-by shootings uh, down the street where at two separate occasions in the last 12 days and two, a 19 year old mm-hmm. kid whose birthday was the next day. And then a 21 year old guy, both of them were shot and killed several times we had another shooting the other night nobody got shot thankfully but it's like so we've tried to go find the families and the friends and we've supported them we brought them meals we're trying to figure it out we know it's all gang violence and retaliation nobody's Mm -hmm. telling everything there's no justice for these two young men because the people that know Mm -hmm. something aren't speaking about it they won't say anything because they're all going to retaliate so we're praying that god would shift the hearts so we had a young man turn to one of our pastors on the way out and say that he knows that he's in a bad situation and he needs to change his life. And that was an answer to prayer that one of the young guys would actually say to one of our pastors, right as they're walking out, you know, now is the time for me to look at what I'm doing and and I need help. So, um, and he's receiving one of our hearing God books, you know, but also a Bible and, 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 and practical help. But we've been thinking about like all the outreaches we've been doing. We do these one day weekend outreaches, which is fine, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to live a life of outreach. We need to have a presence in the community. And so, you know, prayer has revealed that to us. Like as we've been praying, God has shown us that a lot of our efforts were more convenient efforts than they were sacrificial and and the more we've prayed the more god has revealed and so uh-huh. i'm 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 just saying the helplessness we can't we can't stop the retaliation of gang efforts in our community but god can you know god can arrest hearts god can give visions and dreams god can yep. help us to meet the right person at the right time and we're just kind of dumbfounded most of the time walking around trying to get stuff right but god just has a way of directing our steps and helping us to right. be a, a part of that transformation and I just want to give more glory to him. And and part of that has got to start not just in my personal prayer closet where I'm soaking and and it has nothing to do with anybody else where I just feel the glory, 
but where we lead in intercession. So that I actually am rolling out a plan to our church uh, in the midst of COVID-19 because the governor has allowed us to do drive in drive-in services. We we don't have a building where we can actually effectively do a drive-in service, but we're going to do um, a live stream and Facebook live prayer service every week on our property. And we're going to dispatch people into the community to drive through these neighborhoods, but also go to the schools, the hospitals, the local businesses, and other churches in a park and parking lots, take pictures, pray down heaven and heaven's reality, and then also go to our local businesses and buy takeout food to kind of keep them alive, you know, and shout them out on, on social media. But we're going to have an hour long prayer meeting yeah. in our cars every week and then dispatch into our community as we pray over our community. The Lord spoken to some of our prophetic people saying we need to pray walk and we're going to drive and pr- we're going to drive, drive prayer, drive prayer. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Pray and drive, drive in prayer, prayer walk. Yeah. But we we just feel yeah, like as simple as this is, prayer drive. And go. to some, as inactive as this might seem, we feel like the Lord's saying, take the city in prayer before before you do anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the creativity. I know that's what I'm I'm looking at as a privilege. Like even when we get um five the permission to have five people gather like we can open our prayer room right. again, <laughs> and the first thing that can happen in our building again is prayer and i got no problem with that if we lead in prayer but i love um i might have to steal some of that i'm just going to walk around our building the, we've got, we've got the we actually are asking um, we have a parking ride right down the street power of prayer we've uh, contacted wasdot and we're going to ask them if that we can use it for an hour a week it's vacant every day and they have 600 stalls, so we have a big church, so hmm. our 363 yeah. stalls are going to get filled. I'm, I'm believing that we're going to fill up all these stalls, okay? We're going to walk around the property. We're going to upload online like seven prayer points. Come on now. We're going to have our pastors on each side of the property, and we're just going to go for it. Well, the, the scripture shows us, right? Um and as followers of Jesus, Amen. as leaders in the church, we should be scripture people, um, right? But it shows us that there's a God factor when we pray. That like there's like you said, you're you feel helpless. Nope. You're at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. That's not a bad position to be in if it thrusts you in on, to, you know, onto your knees and where you start crying out to God. And when we when we get in that place, we shouldn't have to get there. We should stay there, right? But these moments kind of push us back That's there. Right. We haven't been, and there's real power released. And so like I know. This is going to release, um, uh, should be on the national day of prayer. Like, what is your hope? I mean, even, obviously you're already sharing an example and you're giving, you have a lot of hope and faith in what God's going to do through your church, but like any scriptures you go to or any thoughts on like, as we pray as a nation or as we pray corporately as churches or across our cities for like what, yeah, I mean, what all we should of us expect are going to why Chronicles we should do this. Give us some fuel for the fire the of national day of prayer. God healing our land as we turn from our wicked yeah. ways, uh, as we embrace repentance and the way of prayer as a nation. And we're just going to start mm-hmm. as a church. I'm not going to speak on behalf of the nation right now. I'm just going to speak for Northwest Church. As we embrace repentance, which is not just being sad for the sin right. that we committed, but it's also that, that as a people that we've not entered into our community, that we've not produced righteousness, not just that we haven't restrained unrighteousness, but there's a lot of things that we weren't present for. So we're repenting for a lack of presence in our world and in our community. That's one thing that we're going to prayer for. And we're using that scripture that God would heal our land as he uses us as healing agents, that he puts healing into our hands and into our heart that we bring to our community because we're present for them. And we're asking God to, you know, to grant us the repentance that we need in this season for that. And so we're looking at scriptures like that. I actually have written an entire document on intercessory prayer, on what to pray for and who to pray for. It's just a one-page document with massive mm-hmm. amounts of scripture. And I'm just, I've been sharing that mm-hmm. as I preach every Wednesday night. Last Wednesday, I talked about urgency in prayer. And it was Mark chapter 14. And the moment where Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas, he's with his three disciples. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14. He leaves them there, there uh, and, he, and he walks a little further into the garden, and he drops down, and he, and he starts to have some time, intimate dialogue with the Father, and he comes back, and the, the guys are sleeping. 
and he actually does this twice and they're sleeping twice. And he tells, he says specifically to them, could you not watch and pray for one hour? And I was preaching about how sometimes we're literally living in a moment Mm -hmm. and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we don't realize, they didn't realize the moment that they were in. That when Jesus said, could you not watch and pray a while, they fell asleep. But I guarantee you that if they knew the moment that they were in, they would have done everything that they needed to do to stay awake. And so I just talked about living in an urgency to be a people of prayer, that we don't shrug off or shuck off the moment that we're in. So if we can help people understand the moment that we're in, they can embrace the type of prayer that we need to exhibit in this hour. And so that's what I preached last week. Um, And that to me was really helpful. And I shared it as a prophetic word that this is a time to wake up and it's not a time to fall asleep. That just just like that was a, a specific and That's very right. serious moment to Jesus that. when he says to us, could you not watch and pray for one hour? So we, we have this prayer initiative I started called Reach Up 1000. I'm asking a thousand of our people to pray for one hour a week. And we have a whole web page devoted to it with many prayer points that are, mm-hmm. one of our pastors has written. And we're just contending over that together. Mm-hmm. And, and we have this accumulation bar. When you press it, it says, I prayed one hour we're just seeing thousands of hours going up before the throne of God as we reach up into him seeking for his answer and solutions in the world around us. So I'm, I've never led a prayer movement like I'm seeking to lead a prayer movement in our church. I, I don't know who, who it'll affect. I'm not trying to be a regional um, prayer pastor for, for every church. I just want to lead it in our church. I want our church to have a revolution of a lifestyle of prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We're working on initiatives. We're relaunching our house of prayer and a prayer room and uh, online participation, all sorts of stuff. So let's go after this, man. Uh, could you, uh, as we wrap up our our episode today, could, in our, our dialogue, could you just pray as uh, people will be hearing let's this? Do it. That would be awesome. Father, we thank you, you today for your word. And as this broadcast will be aired on the National Day of Prayer, we join with brothers and sisters all over this nation And we simply cry out to you. We ask, Lord, as we embrace the way of repentance, that you would send a holy revival upon our land. We ask that you would first revive us as your people, your sons and daughters, that we profess the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that you would mobilize us together to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece in the earth. God, we ask that you would light the altar of prayer in our homes. Lord, we ask that, that a heavenly flame would fall upon us, Lord. We ask for a fresh passion for Jesus. We pray for a passion for intimacy, a passion for activity, a passion for evangelism, a passion for discipleship. God, we pray that your words would be in full view for all of your people. We pray that our lamps would be lit, that we would be on fire for you in this season, not held back, not bound, not restricted and limited. Lord, we pray that we would be on fire, that we would rise up, that we would speak up, that we would stand up. I ask for your people across this nation that the revival that we've been asking for, regardless of its package, Lord, that we would see it in its full view, that your beauty would be in front of us, God. And we thank you for the many prodigals across the land, that they would come back to you in this season, that, Lord, the ones that have walked away, they were disillusioned, they were disappointed, they were discouraged. Maybe some of them walked away in sin. They felt that you you didn't give them freedom. They, They didn't understand the things that had happened around them. Maybe they were mistreated by a leader or a church. God, we pray that you would speak clearly to prodigals all over this nation and that you would bring them back into your family. We ask for a restoration work to happen across this land, that you would mobilize all of us together. We pray, God, that that your holiness would come back to the church, that we would understand we're set apart, that we're in the world and not of it, yes, that God. we would be the unique people, the peculiar ones, the ecclesia of God that's rising up, set apart for your holy purposes, not for our shows, not for our gimmicks, not for the things that we want or desire. We pray, God, that you would set us apart for you, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and convict us and convince us of your purposes in the world that we're living in today. And Lord, we pray that we would lay down our agendas and our ambitions to see your purposes move forward. We do rightly pray your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth and in federal way and Everett and all across this nation 
as it is in heaven. God, we thank you for the angelic activity that we know is happening in the heavenlies, the things that we do not see. And God, we ask you, Lord, that as we join together with your heavenly host to bring about the harvest of the earth, we ask God like never before that we would become sacrificial people. Sacrificial, Lord. We pray that the language of sacrifice would be restored to the Church of America. Not convenience, Lord. Not having what we want, but Lord, having what you want. God, thank you for the saints of old. We thank you for the men and women that have written books that we can read today. Those that have led revivals in times past that we've only read about. We pray that we would experience what their words say. The prayers that they prayed, Lord, we pray that they would reap a harvest in this generation like, like no other time. We pray that the narrative on this generation, the the boomer, Gen X, Gen Z, and and the millennial, we pray that you would wipe it clean and cause us, God, to just have a script that only you say over us, Lord, to embrace what your word is, Lord, right here and right now. Bring the generations together for one purpose, for one reason, to see the harvest of the earth. Thank you, Lord. Holy is the Lord. Thank you, God. We worship God. Come, Holy Spirit. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We declare that you're worthy. You're worthy of our life, a life being laid down, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, for the fresh accountability on all of us as leaders and pastors. We repent, Lord, where our focus has been off. We ask you, Lord, that as, yes, as the pastor of all of our churches, we pray that you would shepherd us into the season ahead. God, would you give us the sharp focus that we need, the right pieces, the right points, the right, the right, play, the right focus that we need, God, in this season. I thank you, Lord, that you are reshaping us. You're, you're taking the clay and you're molding it into what you want it to be exactly that it would contain fully and completely what you're pouring out. Remold us as your clay, God, to be the vessel that can contain what you're pouring yes, out. God. I thank you, God, for Sunrise Christian Center, yes, oh Lord. for Northwest Church, for the churches across this region. Help us to help us to come together. Father, help us to pray together. Yes, God. Help us to pour ourselves out in our voice yes, and prayer Lord. to you together. Thank you, Lord, for the call that's going out in this hour. Lord, we yield to your voice. We ask you to to bring that clarity to what you're saying, that we could say what you're saying and we could do what you're doing. We're we're humbled, Lord, in this time. We ask God for for you to pour out just that holy anticipation. Yes, Lord. That holy anticipation, God. Turn our frustrations into prayer and intercession as we look up to you and not just across at one another yes, subside God. the rage and the frustration and the anger that can be turned towards each other. We pray that people everywhere would look up. They would raise up holy hands and seek the face of God. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing a new thing and that we can experience a fresh and new revival among us that we so desperately need. So we look to you now and we pray God on the national day of prayer that you would yes, make Lord. us a people of prayer first and a people of action second, Lord, knowing that true action starts in prayer. That is the activity that you want us to be consumed with right now. And we embrace it today yes, Lord. in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Love you, John. Amen. Amen to that. Love you too, man. Thanks yeah, for joining yeah, me. Where yeah. can people so find our, uh, your our ministry, your, is, your preaching, uh, your books? Uh, Federal Way, Washington, nwcfoursquare.org. My personal website is bendixon.org, and uh, everything you need to know about me and our church is on those websites. Hey, love you. Okay, Likewise, great. man. Yeah, great to have you. Appreciate your time, your input, your friendship. Today's show is brought to you by the Send Network. SEND stands for Sunrise Equipping Network and Development. It's the apostolic network of Sunrise Christian Center. 
Connect with Send to join a community of like-minded leaders from the church place, the workplace, and other areas of influence. You can find out more about Send at isunrise.org. Thank you for tuning in today. Please share the message. Please like it, subscribe to it, download it. I appreciate your support.